All right. Hey, welcome everybody to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. We have a great topic today and we have Fred Sievert here with us. Fred, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Glad to be with you. And here, you know, here's what I, I, I got excited when I saw, um, when you and I got introduced, I saw that, you know, you know, you'd risen through this amazing career to be president of the New York Life Insurance Company. Now, this is, uh, if anybody can uh, relate to this, imagine being president of an organization with 65,000 employees and agents and working basically 24 by 7 by 52. Um, but what you wanted to talk about was about God's grace and how we get through crisis and and my goodness, you'd written a book, and it was just filled with stories. Your new book is called Grace Revealed, and these stories on how people had gotten through all kinds of crisis. And Fred, you and I were talking before we even got started about, you know, some of our true healing is actually when we just kind of get real and intensely vulnerable, even just with others, about some of the things that we've walked through. And I'd love for you to talk about kind of that pivot point for you, kind of at, at the top of your career, top of your game, as far as the world would concern. And, and you and you, and you you took a pivot, didn't you? Indeed, I did. Yeah, I, I really felt, uh, even though I had been involved with my church uh, throughout most of my adult life in various positions and lay leadership positions, uh, I didn't give it adequate time. And I felt that my, my spiritual development and education had been quite deficient, especially the last few years of my career when, uh, you know, when I was running a big company. And so at age 59, I decided to uh, retire early and go off to divinity school. I spent four years doing a two-year program because I had so many other commitments that uh, I had to go half-time, but it was a great experience. And I'll never forget the first day I, I went off to school as a 59-year-old, uh, walking out the front door of my house carrying my book bag, my adult daughter was visiting us, and she yelled out to me, uh, Dad, play nice with the other kids, and don't forget to share. <laughs> and I, you know, it was funny at the time, but you know what? I, I found out that that was a pretty profound statement, because my experience from that day forward was really about spiritual sharing and the power of spiritual sharing. Uh, and I've, I've carried on with that throughout a period of writing my first book, God Revealed, which has stories of my own personal encounters with the Lord. And uh, then the second book, Grace Revealed, uh, which is about other people who you know, were saved by grace from terrible crises. Now, a question for you. I know you're a big fan of Halftime, and I know you've, you've read the book. Um, you know, if you think of that first half of your life, because there's a lot of people listening right now that are right now in the middle of that whirlwind and that chaos that we just have to manage daily. Um, you know, what are yeah. some of the things that, you know, you learned in that first half, Fred, that are just maybe something you wish as you got started, somebody would have shared with you? Well, yeah, the, the book Halftime by Bob Buford was really quite influential in making my decision to retire early and go to divinity, go off to divinity school. Even though I loved my job, I thought I was having a tremendous impact. Um, and there are a number of stories in the first book about that relate to my career. In fact, probably a third of the stories in the first book, uh, God Revealed, were 
business-related experiences. But, um, you know, what, what really, uh, I'll tell you one of those stories because this is, this is very illustrative of the kinds of things that happened to me, the kinds of things that encouraged me to, to go ahead and make that move to divinity school. It was, a, it was an experience I had in India. Mm. called Epiphany. Uh, it was, it's in the first chapter of the book, the first book, God Revealed. And that chapter is about kind of faith-stirring experiences where I palpably felt God's presence right in the moment. And this was one of them. I was on a board of our subsidiary company in India. I was a ranking board member, and we had a partner uh, in the joint venture who owned health, uh, health providers, uh, clinics, and hospitals. And after one of the board meetings, he said to me, Fred, how would you like to go see our new cardiac facility? And I thought, well, I'm tired, but yeah, okay, let's go. And when we walked into the atrium, this beautiful new hospital, he said to me, as long as you're here, how would you like to observe a procedure? Well, you know, I really didn't want to do that, but I figured I'll be, I'll be up in a, in a surgical amphitheater 10, 12 feet above the table, and if I get a little queasy, I can turn aside. Well, instead, they marched me into the scrub room. I scrubbed down, put on the, the hat and the mask and the booties and the gown, and they marched me right into an operating room where they're performing a quadruple bypass surgery. And this chief of staff... Wait, hold, hold on a sec, Fred, because right, right now I'm, I'm picturing myself in that same situation, and I'm already like kind of getting a little bit of the cold sweat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. Well, tell me, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. But he, he asked the anesthesiologist to step aside, and they put me at the head of the table. My stomach's like two inches from the head of the patient, and I'm staring, you know, 18 inches in front of my nose. There's an open chest cavity with a beating heart. And I want to tell you, John, this was a profound spiritual experience. I mean, how often do we do we think about the marvel of God's creation and and the, the human body? And I'm looking at this beating heart and thinking, how on earth did this ever happen? How can anyone not believe this is the miraculous creation of God? And I'm starting to cry, and the, the tears are. I was afraid my tears were going to drop in the patient's face, but you know, the surgical mask was absorbing the tears. But, you know, it was just this, this incredible experience at a time when I was thinking about, you know, I had read halftime, and I'm thinking about what am I going to do the rest of my life that, that's more meaningful and really is going to have an impact on other people. And, you know, I, I ended up using that story in many, many uh, presentations I've made, and I called it Getting a Glimpse of God. Mm. And I, I would ask, And I would ask people to generate spiritual sharing among groups. I'd say, when have you gotten a glimpse of God. And, you know, that'll generate a lot of experience, uh, comments because people in their lives have those, but they don't often get a chance to tell about it. And so by my get, telling my story and giving them permission, you know, it enabled them to get the courage up to tell their own story. And, you know, that glimpse of God, I, you know, I tell people that, you know, I, I marvel at life in any form. And I was trained as an actuary, you know, probability and statistics. And so you would think I would bias in favor of science over religion and faith. But I'll tell you, I, in my mind, it's far more probable that God created all these marvelous creatures, uh, and not just humans, but plant life, animal life, the cosmos, 
it's far more probable that that occurred, that, that God's the creator, than, than man evolved from a single-cell amoeba over billions of years. And even if I believed that, I would ask myself the question, where'd the amoeba come from? I mean, this, this clearly, to me, is God's creation. And that, that was just such an important moment for me. It was like God sending me a message, you know, take a look at this and, and see how incredible it is. And, and it was just a very moving experience. And so it's stories like that that I share in the first book and stories like that in the second book, but they're not my story. They're stories of other people and uh, Grace Revealed. Well, too, you know, and as you moved along that path, you know, a lot of us, uh, I think we have a tendency to assume somebody that's at that level of business where you were at, right, that you just kind of, you know, you kind of, you keep marching up the path, you know, you're lucky, you're, you're, you know, you're the chosen one, you, you know, you have the, you know, how to play, you know, the political game and you got to the top and I know, uh, for you, that's not the path, and actually, that's not the path for most people. But man, you had some serious financial difficulties, some, some, some big failures, and what, you know, what were you know as you're just kind of doing your corporate career? What are some of those the biggest challenges you had, and what role did your faith play in just for you to be able to continue to move forward, Fred? Yeah, you know, we all face challenges and difficulties and problems and struggles. That's that's what my second book, Grace Revealed, is all about. People who were really in crisis, and the only way they found relief was through their their faith in Jesus Christ and the the amazing outpouring of grace. Um, and that was true for me. I, I I felt throughout my career after an early experience when I was 12 years old, where it was kind of a mystical adolescent experience where I really felt in the presence of God, almost an out-of-body experience where God was, you know, uh, encouraging me and telling me when I was asking all these questions that at 12 years old, I didn't realize they were uh, deep theological questions. But at the time I, I was asking, you know, who, you know, what it is God with me now and forever? Is who's this guy Jesus? Is he really divine? Is he really the Son of God? Uh, you know, how on earth did this earth get created in the universe, the cosmos, and and all the creatures within it? And I really felt God was lifting me up, and it was like I said, it was kind of an out of body experience where I really w- knew I was in God's hands. I didn't hear Him say anything audibly. But I really felt the love, the deep love, and the feeling that, you know, I, the message I was getting was, yes, I'm real. Your your answers to your questions will come over time. And that really gave me kind of an enduring faith to study more, to read the Word, to try to learn more about Jesus Christ. And from to get to your question... I really felt once I found Jesus and uh, the Holy Spirit was indwelling within me that throughout my career that I would pray multiple times daily. I felt that the Holy Spirit was guiding me and giving me answers in difficult situations and places where I had to make tough decisions. But nonetheless, we still go through struggles. And early in my career, you know, I had financial difficulty. I, I had I consulted a bankruptcy lawyer. I never did file bankruptcy, but I was going down that path. 
there were times when I thought I was going to be fired, you know, because we all make mistakes. We all have some failures in, in our careers. But, you know, I, I couldn't have handled it on my own. It really was the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you know, telling me what to say and what to do. I remember when I first went to New York Life, I convinced them, and I was a new guy, and they rarely hired new people at my level. I was a senior vice president. And I convinced my superiors to buy a little company that I thought would give us a very interesting distribution play, and it failed. And um, I was in charge. They put me in charge of it. Here's the new guy, convinced us to buy this company, and it failed. And we had to write off about $30 million. And I thought, well, that's it. You know, I better update my resume. But as it turned out, you know, I got through it. I went to the board and I talked about the lessons learned and I and I learned from the experience. But, the, you know, we all have those days and those events and those crises in our lives. You can't escape it. And I think we become better people, better managers, better executives, better leaders, better Christians as a result of some of those low moments during our lives. And that's kind of what Grace Revealed, my second book, is people who told me their stories. I, I ended up writing it, but they told me their stories, and we went back and forth, and they agreed to the, the final text. But, you know, that's what it was about. It, but serious, really serious crises, you know, sexual abuse, addictions, uh, loss of a loved one, depression, PTSD, you name it. There's chapters in the book about all those conditions. That's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, if you look in, uh, you know, this book, Grace Revealed, man, you really tackle, you know, some of those things that you know when you're in it, man. It, trusting God, having hope in the Lord, uh, I know for me sometimes has really been a conscious choice, and I don't always yeah. do it well. Um, and you know, have I, I've had to go personally through, you know, some of these areas here and, in and, and, and for people listening, um, I mean, Fred talks about physical, emotional, sexual abuse, overcoming addictions, healing from these emotional and physical issues, right? These career rated challenges, you know, some of these family issues that, uh, some of us have gone through, which have been you know, have really left a mark, you know, grief. So, you know, what what was kind of the the genesis of you kind of pulling together these amazing stories and, and putting this together? Because right, right well, now, I, I really think that if we really get vulnerable with each other, everybody has a story. Everybody, one of those topics that I just talked about, Fred, I really believe yeah. that in our past – there is something there, and until until we bring in God and Holy Spirit and Jesus uh, to heal us, we're connected to these in an emotional way that 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 can really kind of hold us back and define us versus allowing us to learn from it from God's perspective, so that we can you know move forward into using yeah. that you know you know God said to me at my accident the first thing He said to me that I have to reconnect to all the time is all things work together for good for those that love the Lord, for those that are called according to his purpose. And sometimes yes. all things is kind of hard to wrap your head around. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Well, yeah, I, you you hit the nail on the head. This this is exactly right. And what, what I found interesting that, that you asked about the Genesis, it was as I spoke to various groups, small groups, uh, Bible study, book clubs, uh, church church groups, uh, even non non religious groups. As I spoke to many groups, again, my my giving telling my stories and giving them permission to tell their stories resulted in hearing some incredible stories that were just, you know, very inspiring and compelling. And and one of the commonalities I ended up, I only, I only put like 19 of the stories in the book, but I had like 35 and um, the ones that I put in the book were the ones that had a certain element of commonality and chapter eight in the book sort of pulls it all together. And what's the common element in these stories and how can that impact your own faith journey? Anyway, the, the, the common element was people were in crisis, serious, very serious crisis hitting rock bottom. Secondly, they reached out to the Lord in desperation in many cases and, and found a remarkable uh, level of grace pouring onto them that gave them permanent enduring relief and thirdly, which you alluded to as well, is is their gratitude for that grace caused them to, in turn, give that gratitude back, give that grace back through enduring lifelong Christian service. Mm. So the, all the stories followed that pattern. And then when, when we wrote them in the book, what, what I did with, with the book to make it more compelling for the reader is I hired a researcher, and the researcher did research on each one of these various crises and how prevalent it was. And I, I specifically wanted to be able to say how prevalent it, it is so that people realize they are not alone. So we tell the story, you know, we do the research, the prevalence of this condition, then we tell the story, and within the story, all the people in these 19 stories had certain Bible verses they relied upon. In fact, probably it's funny you mentioned what you did because one of the most common verse, and I left this redundancy in the book on purpose because it was so common, was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That was the most common, commonly stated verse that people relied upon. And then at the end of each story, I kind of recap it with my take on what happened in this story, what's what's the kind of the spiritual take on this story? And then we had reflection questions, and at the end of each chapter, a sample prayer that people could modify for their own circumstances if, for example, they had been sexually abused, or if, for example, they were addicted to opioids or whatever. So, you know, that's how the book, I think, can be used by an individual and every, like you say, everybody faces crises in their lives. And so many people right now are dealing with the, just look at the Me Too movement, the sexual harassment, sexual abuse, this guy from Michigan State, you know, uh, Nasser. I mean, it's remarkable. And in fact, it's tragic. But one of the things that surprised me the most in doing the research for the book was the number of women in particular who over the course of their lives have been sexually abused. And whether it was childhood or later, a study was done in 2013, this is part of the research we did, that estimated 42 million Americans 
had experienced sexual abuse at one point in their lives. And if you think about it, John, that's 15% of the population. And that includes men. So if you just look at the women where it's much more prevalent, it's probably more like 25 or 30%. So if you, if you have, for every thousand people that are listening to this radio show right now, or your podcast right now, you can, you can bet for every thousand women listening, at least, you know, 150 to 200 of them were sexually abused. I mean, this is astounding. And that kind of statistic has been validated in all the presentations I've done around the country with small groups. When women came up to me, I could have written an entire book on this. When women came up to me and shared their story with me, um, you know, it's, it's so sad and so prevalent. And, you know, the relief can really only come, in my view, Sure, there's things that can be done medically, and you should seek medical advice if you're in PTSD or depression, but it's through belief in Jesus Christ and the amazing power of grace. You, you, you need to forgive yourself, and you need to forgive your perpetrator, which is a very difficult thing to do, but it's a Christian thing to do, and it relieves you of the burden if you can forgive well, that's a powerful statement, right? It relieves you of the burden. So forgiveness is really kind of a first step. And, you know, as, as you think of, you know, these 19 stories that you included in the book, what are, are there any that are just kind of standing out to you at, at this point? Uh, well, one of them in particular um, is, a, is a, a guy who was a corporate attorney in Washington, D.C. I think at one point he was like, the number two or three guy uh, advising the Democratic National Committee. But he was a corporate attorney. He was killing himself, uh, working crazy hours. He was uh, really on the verge of a breakdown. He found himself crying all the time, uh, didn't know how to deal with it, was riding a commuter train back and forth to Washington, D.C. And someone handed him a, a... a little religious flyer, and he he was reading about uh, the birth of Christ, and he was touched by that story and other stories in the Bible, and ultimately he cried out to the Lord. But here's what happened that was really remarkable: is he was on the train, and again in this horrible state, and late at night. And he had a vision of Jesus Christ in robe and sandals sitting down across from him on the train. And Christ said to him, don't worry, I'll take care of everything. And that moment led him, and, and, and Christ disappeared as quickly as he appeared. And that moment led to him to go to divinity school himself. And the reason I give such credibility to the story is this this man was my spiritual mentor for 19 years. He was the senior minister of my church in Connecticut, and he was, after he left his corporate practice, went to divinity school, took on a church in Connecticut, which became one of the largest churches in that denomination in the country. And he would often tell this story there's no question his life was significantly transformed 
by Jesus Christ. And, and if uh, I remember the story too, right, when he first started reading those scriptures, there was one phrase that he just read and reread, and that was fear not. And that was yes, such right. a change of mindset for him to actually live a life um, you know, free of fear and anxiety and worry that he's like, I don't know what it looks like to not fear, but man, that's, I need that. I want that. I have to have that. Yeah. Uh, it's a remarkable story. Uh, but it, you know, it's just like all the other stories. It's when, when one reaches out to the Lord in faith and, you know, asks for guidance and, healing and recovery, it will happen. Now, maybe in his timing, his perfect timing, <laughs> there was a chapter in my first book about uh, God revealed in his perfect timing, because one example of that was my wife and I were told we'd never have children. Each one of us was told we were incapable of having children, so we, we adopted uh three daughters, two Korean orphans, one special needs child. And after 16 years of marriage, along came the miracle of Zachary, my first firstborn boy. Mm-hmm. And eight, 18 months later, along came the miracle of Corey, our second boy. And a short five weeks later, along came the miracle of a vasectomy. <laughs> I said, Lord, <laughs> Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, but five is enough. But, you know, that was one of the stories of my first book. It was just, there's no question that that was God's hand. And in his perfect timing, you know, it it took 16 years for that to happen. But the interesting thing about that, John, is I I went back, we were in Detroit at the time, living in Detroit, big city, lots of hospitals and clinics all over the town. And, uh, when I decided to get a vasectomy, the, my doctor sent me off to a, a clinic that was like 20 miles away uh, to a urologist, and it, he just happened to be on the same floor in the same medical building that the guy who had treated me for infertility, you know, 17 years before, was was practicing. So with the day I went for the vasectomy, I went into his office and, and I asked to see him. And he came out, and I said, you're not going to believe why I'm here today. Because, you know, he he had given up on me. Frankly, I had given up on me. I was still praying, but I had given up. And I told him, and what, what I found interesting, John, was he didn't, you know, he said, oh, congratulations. But the, the look at his face, it was sort of like, you know, he was a little down because, he couldn't accomplish what only God could accomplish. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's a funny reaction, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what happened. So that, in God's perfect timing, you know, there's a few examples of that in the first book. Yeah. Well, hey, is, I'm curious, Fred, you know, as you've done, you know, listen to all these stories, these 35 people, and done all this research, you know, what did you notice as you were kind of, putting all this together and thinking through how, you know, some people successfully kind of move through tragedy and crisis and, and others don't. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, my, 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 uh, universe of examples comes from people who are listening to my presentations and who were very faithful and who had come through crisis some people don't, and you know, 
I say to them to, to keep the faith, to keep praying. You know, when I was in, in business, not a, it's not an exaggeration to say I prayed 10 to 15 times a day. Uh, often something very short, you know, just, Lord, guide me, help me, was never about, it was never about praying to hit a sales goal or a profit objective or get a promotion or a big bonus. Never, never that. It was always about, you know, being a good role model for my employees, making the right decisions, acting with the highest level of integrity and guide me through, through your Holy Spirit. And I just encourage people to, to keep that faith, keep up a practice of reading the Bible daily, keep up the practice of praying daily, not just for yourself, but for others. And uh, the Lord's going to honor that and reward you for that. But yes, some people do go through. One of the stories in my second book, Grace Revealed, is about a guy who had very serious chronic pain, and he's still in pain, but he feels like, you know, he's got a message and he's being relieved of that pain to some extent. Um, and he's a good friend of mine. I, I wasn't even aware of the pain he had been going through over the years. Uh, but his faith has endured, and I think people's faith has to endure uh, whether they're seeing immediate relief or not. Well, I can understand that. Since my accident, I, I have been in chronic pain, and you know, and it's just some days you're just like you just just pray that you could just hit the pause button, and it doesn't always come. It gets better. Um, but I've, yeah. I've, I've also, for myself, God has helped me kind of transform my mind and see it differently that, you know, that I'm alive and I shouldn't be alive. And this is like this thorn in the flesh reminding me of this beautiful, incredible gift of this second chance that I was given to be a husband and a father and to be alive in this world and to have an influence in other people's lives. And so it's a constant reminder also to stay on the path that God wants me to be walking on and not drift onto the path that I was walking myself before all this happened yep. in, in business that was really kind of serving myself. But it was also a place yep. where, as I really kind of looked at my life up to that moment that should have been my death, um, you know, had I lived my life so the use of my life would have outlived my life. And I and yeah. I knew that that's not how I had been living, Fred. Yeah, well, that's what transformation is all about. Uh, you you have to go through it in a very difficult physical way, but uh, look what it's done. Look at the thousands of people you're impacting in a positive way for the Lord. It's it's wonderful. So so those people that have personally you know suffered sexual abuse, physical, verbal abuse you know, addictions, PTSD, you know, tragic loss, you know, maybe of a child, you know, right. what do you, you know, uh, if they get this book and read through it, what, what are, how do you think this is going to really kind of help them take that next step forward? Well, I think, you know, for someone who's going through that or has gone through that, I think it's, it's always helpful to read stories of people who have not only gotten through it, but sort of thrived and found found great joy in helping others. I mean, that's what each one of these stories is about people who had such gratitude for God's uh, grace 
that they're returning it to others, either in ministry or in nonprofits. You know, there's a story about a guy with serious PTSD, and he's reaching thousands of veterans right now who are experiencing what he did. And by telling his story, he also lost a child, by the way, when uh, a young child earlier in his life. Mm. So th- this guy has has really a remarkable ministry of sorts. He's not an ordained minister, but you know he's telling the story, and people are being saved by it and and coming through some really difficult times. I mean, PTSD is something that you know it affects a lot of people, and it's not just veterans. Other people have similar traumatic experiences. And, you know, years ago, I would have said, well, just shake it off. You know, what's this about depression and PTSD? You know, just pull pull up your bootstraps, shake it off, and move on with your life. Well, it's not that simple. You know, it's just it's just something that, that people, it's, it's, it's something that's embedded in their brain. And they think their whole uh, outlook on today is 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 uh, tainted by this filtering through the lens of everything that's happened in the past and they got to get beyond that um, one of the ways by the way that i discovered in writing the book and doing the research is that this eye movement therapy is something that has worked successfully for a lot of ptsd victims um you know i don't know exactly how it works i'm not a doctor but there's some sort of reprogramming of your brain that can be done through this eye movement therapy. You know, you could Google it and look it up, but it's it's had some pretty remarkable results, and it's, uh, you know, some, some uh, medical organizations have touted it as the best, the best therapy for PTSD. But, you know, so that's... that's you got to continue to look for ways to get beyond it, and it's it's not easy. It's not it's a disease. It's not just a uh, you know a temporary mental shortcoming. It's it's a disease. It's not something you can just shake off. Right. Exactly. Well, you know something. Yeah. You know you mentioned to me, and I think this is you know what's something we could also do right now and uh man i have heard this so many times and then you said it before we got started um you know where a lot of us are in different bible studies and we get together and we study the word but they've really become like this social event this social club and it's i mean there's not a lot of healing transformation and growth that's happening and and you were um at a men's group that you'd been part of for a long time and somebody shared that with you and you did yes. something that really changed the dynamic and served people well. And I'd love for you to tell that yeah. story because that's something every single one of us could go do right now. Because mm-hmm. I got to tell you, our kind of motto around here with our clients, with ourselves, is extreme vulnerability. And that's kind of where it's it starts. But yeah. I, but if you're, yeah. I'd love for you to kind of share what happened yeah, in that I'd, moment. I'd be happy to. It was really one of the greatest moments since I went to Divinity School and started to write the first book. Is uh, the, the leader of the men's group of my church, which is a big church, a big men's group, um, came to me and he said, Fred, this, this men's group has become nothing but a social event. He said, can you, he knew I was in Divinity School and writing a book. He said, can you find a way to generate some spiritual sharing among the men? 
So I prayed about that. I worked with the assistant minister. We set up a program where we had like 64 men, although some women wanted to come and we didn't turn them down. But we had 64 people at a dinner. Uh, This doesn't have to be a dinner, by the way. I've I've done it probably 15 or 20 times since. Um, We set up this dinner where uh, men were at tables of eight. And we actually, I was worried, you know, that this might not work so well. So we actually trained somebody at each table to be a discussion leader. I found out later that I didn't really need to do that. But anyway, the first time we did it, I got up and I talked about balancing faith, family, and career. And then I mentioned the first book. And I and I sat down while they served the salad. And I asked people at each table to talk about how you balance faith, family, and career. And... uh it was that the engagement was very strong because I knew this was a safe place to go. You know, men sometimes get emotional. They don't want to share spiritual experiences. So this was kind of a warm up. You know, what are some of your coping techniques? Because these are all type A personalities living in Fairfield County and working in New York City. So that went well. Then I got up and told one of the stories from my book was about getting a glimpse of God and um, asked them at that point, to talk about that when they ate their entree. And um, again, the engagement was very strong. I told them, I said, look, men, men can get emotional. It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. And if you're going to talk about something you want to be kept, kept confidential, I'm sure the men in your group will keep it confidential. So I was thrilled to see the engagement. Then before dessert, I got up again, short presentation, five minutes. I told another story from my book. It was about an experience that was so improbable that it had to be providential and not coincidental. And I asked them to speak at the table about the some experience they've had that they now, in, either in hindsight or at the time, realized this was God acting in their lives. And again, the, the, the discussion was and engagement was incredible. So I was feeling really good about this and, and felt blessed by the experience. And that night I got home. And one of the men sent me an email that night, and he said, Fred, tonight I sat at a table with men I've known for 15 years, but I really didn't know them till tonight. And that that just speaks Mm. to the power of spiritual sharing. And, John, as I've told that story, just the way I told it to you and your listeners in two or three minutes, I've told that story to ministers and other groups and people I've seen, and almost everybody I tell it to comes to me and says, Fred, we need to do something like that in our church. So that's how I ended up doing this 15 or 20 times, is I agreed to keep doing it. In fact, I'm scheduled to do another one in two weeks, just like that. And it never fails. You know, you have to be vulnerable. <laughs> you have to have someone else tell their story and give you permission to tell your story. And it's it's very, very powerful. And people remember those stories much more than they remember even a very powerful sermon. You know, the story stick and telling your own story is just as important. In fact, on a lot of the radio interviews I've done, they'll ask me right at the end of the interview, is there something you'd like to just convey? We got 30 seconds left. And what I what I started to do, and I've done this before and I'll do it now, is I say to people, you've had some sort of experience that moved you deeply, gave you, you got a glimpse of God. You've had that experience. Just prepare yourself to tell it to somebody. 
Don't go out yelling on a street corner. Just prepare yourself to tell it kind of an elevator speech in, in a minute, one minute, to just relate that story. And I said, the Holy Spirit is going to give you opportunities to tell that story. And so many people have gotten back to me later and said, you were right, and I was ready. And I'm so glad I was ready, because I think I positively impacted that person's life. So I would suggest to your viewers or your listeners, they ought to do the same. Yeah, and I would tell that, I would think that in the next week, those that you are hearing this, you probably have the opportunity, and it might be uncomfortable, you know, to be extremely vulnerable in that Bible study, in that men's group, that women's group, with your friend over coffee, right? Sharing some of these vulnerable periods uh, yourself of abuse, of addiction, of whatever it's happened to be. And I even share those. I I share those to the level where the groups I'm working with in a corporate environment are not comfortable because it sets yeah. the tone where actually people start sharing. And here's where this comes from. God led me to this because I was seeing this working and, and, and healing happening and people sharing things that they've never shared before. And it, um, God led me to James 5.16. And it's therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's like this dependent event. And in the Amplified Version, which I really love, um, it's confess to one another your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, mm-hmm. and your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. And I really believe that God wants us to be in community with each other, you know, with other believers, and, and that first step in really God working in us and healing is sometimes just using the word, forming the words and sharing what has happened to us instead of just keeping it inside. Yeah, amen, amen. And I, I often feel another expression I like to use is the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I, I've had just just in the last month two or three really remarkable experiences along those lines. I'll just tell you one quickly. Is I uh, The church that I go to when I'm in Michigan asked me to do a uh, book signing. So they were they, they were asking people to donate $10 for, for each book. So the morning that I'm going to church to do this and go to the service and then sign the books, I realize I look at my wallet and all I have are $20 bills. And there was one bank machine I was aware of where I could get fives and tens instead of 20s. So I went to that bank machine, and lo and behold, the bank machine's out of fives and tens. They only have 20s. So now I'm starting to panic and get nervous. So I go to another bank machine, and it had nothing but 20s. Then I start driving around, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I'm going to need change because people are going to have, you know, they're going to hand me a bunch of 20s, and I won't have 10s and 5s to give them back. So I... So I ended up going into this big Walmart-like store. It wasn't a Walmart, but it was just like Walmart. And I, I go into the store, and I thought, I'm not going to buy a bunch of things and then ask for all this change in tens. So I go up to the customer service desk, and here's where I get the nudging of the Holy Spirit. I, all I had to do was say, can you give me 10 tens for $100 bills or $100? And I didn't. What I said was, I said, I'm going to be – signing a book I wrote at church this morning and I need tens because people are going to, you know, contribute $10 and they'll probably give me twenties and I won't have changed. So I said, can you just give me 10 tens for a hundred dollars? 
And that led to this discussion about the book. So I'm telling this woman who's serving me about the book and the fact that it's about people in crisis. And I, when I talk to a woman about it, I always mention sexual abuse because of what I told you earlier about how prevalent that is. So I mentioned there's a chapter on sexual abuse and addiction and uh, depression and so on. And she looks at me with tears in her eyes and a quivering lip. And she says, I need to read that book. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, this was the nudging of the Holy Spirit that led to her. I gave her a book that led to her probably reading the book. I haven't talked to her since. This just happened a, a week ago. You know, that's when you got you got to be listening for God's guidance and and you know have the courage to speak up. What's the worst can happen? The worst can that can happen is somebody walks away from you, but they would have heard. They would have heard what you had to say. And I, I just think you can powerfully impact a lot of lives by telling your simple story. Oh, thank you for sharing that story. And if people are interested in the book, it's called Grace Revealed by Fred Sievert, S-I-E-V-E-R-T. It's on Amazon and other places. How else can people get in touch with you, Fred? <clears throat> well, they, uh, we've got a website, uh, Stories of God's Grace, all one word, no dots or dashes, storiesofgodsgrace.com. Uh, if you go on Facebook, my Facebook page, um, which is, you know, facebook.com slash uh, I got to look at it because I don't often go into it myself. Uh, yeah, Fred, I think it's, do you have it? Did I give it to you? It is, the one I have is uh, just, yeah, just Fred, just got to search for Fred Sievert, S-I-E-V-E-R-T. Yeah, yeah, that's good enough. I think it ends in Fred Sieve, F-R-E-D-S-I-E-V-1. That's correct. Facebook.com, yep. Fred Sieve 1. Yeah, um, go on there because you could scroll down through that and see a lot of stories that didn't even make the book. There's quite a few in there that didn't make the book, but are just as compelling as the ones in the book. Um, and, you know, I have a Twitter account. It's called At God Revealed, which was the first uh, the first book I wrote, um, God Revealed. And and you can order books from my website also, storiesofgodsgrace.com, and if you want them signed, I can I can sign them. Um, but certainly on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any bookstore can, if they don't have it, they can get it quickly. Awesome. And so just as we wrap up, Fred, any, any final thoughts for everybody who's been listening? Uh, you know, just what I said earlier, that, uh, you know, if you're in a crisis, um, keep the faith, read from the read from the Word daily, pray daily, pray for others. Even if you're the one in crisis, <laughs> pray for others. I think God honors us for reaching out on behalf of other people in need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope I hope they'll get the book because they're, they're you know, like I said, the research is important because it tells you you're not alone and you want to feel like you're not alone and you you uh, can read about people who've recovered through their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's such a great point to just kind of end on, right, that you're not alone, that even though it feels like it as you're going through it, because sometimes we're just isolated, we don't know who to talk to, but there's others that have walked the same path and... And for me, walking some of these very difficult paths, finding others that have walked that path, 
that can come alongside yes. me. Um, man, has been has been an absolute blessing and has allowed me to, you know, move through it and past it. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you, John, for having me on the show, and I, I really appreciate you and your your ministry. It's impacting a lot of lives. Well, thank you, Fred, and it's great having you, and you're welcome back on any time, my friend, and keep up the good work, and this is such an important topic, and, and yeah. um, you know, this isn't, uh, and uh, I really do, I think this is a leadership topic, because how do we lead and influence people if we're not willing to forgive, to learn from what yes. we've gone through, to be vulnerable about kind of who we are, be authentic, Um and also, you know, step into kind of that place as we grow spiritually of really trusting in God as we go through that stuff, not just for what we're going through, but that next small step forward. Amen. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, John.